in chapter 8. That's in the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way into your Bibles. In the beginning of the New Testament, it goes Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then John. So if you get to John, go left, Matthew, Mark, go right, you'll find Luke in chapter 8. We are in a series entitled, Questions Jesus Asked. And when someone asks a question, it usually requires an answer, but not with Jesus. Jesus asked a lot of questions, but it wasn't because he wanted to know something. He's the Son of God, omniscient, all-knowing. So why would Jesus ask a question? That's what this series is all about. You know, it's a place that, I, that I've observed. I, I see sadness and grief and regret. I've observed lost love in people and separation. They try to make them destination places. Manicured grassy knolls and shade trees and park benches that you can rest on. There's always a lot of flowers there, and sometimes lakes with swans and ducks swimming around. They give them peaceful names like Forest Lawn and Pacific Crest, Eternal Valley and Green Hills. You'd never go to one of these places in the dark, though. There's always those campfire stories, right? And those haunted legends of things that go bump in the night and thunder and lightning that's localized there and screams and moans and unexplained laughter. But at this cemetery, in the garrisons, well, these accounts had eyewitnesses. And those eyewitnesses had the cuts and bruises to verify their terror. For the townspeople, they were embarrassed and they were disgusted, for this was an every evening occurrence that signaled another long light, night of fear and uncertainty. And in the Middle Eastern dusk, this small rowboat landed on the beach. Jesus and the disciples were pulling that boat up on the shore and suddenly the, the hair on the back of their neck stood up when they heard the strange noises on the cliff that was right above them. And the 12 of them had no idea what was about to happen. They, they were startled and they, they heard this blood-curdling scream. What do you want from me? And this filthy, naked man stood before them. He was bloody at the wrists and at the ankles. and He was bloody because the, the shackles they put on him, it, it couldn't hold him. He had eyes like crazy eyes, like a rabid dog. He's flailing his arms around, and he's walking straight towards them very deliberately. And the 12 of them were thinking, what in the world are we doing here? 
The disciples, I don't know if they really asked that question. The Bible doesn't say so. But if they did, the best way to answer that question is to go back and take a look at what's taken place before this. And you know what? Maybe some of you are here today and you're asking yourself, what am I doing here at Nova? Anyways, I mean, someone dragged me here or, you know, you just find yourself here and maybe we can help you answer that question too. So let's take a step back and and look at some stories of faith. The Gospel of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus talks over and over and over again about faith. What's the key to Christianity? Well, it's faith. Want to walk with God? You want to please God? It's going to take some faith. You want to know who's in and who's out? You're going to have to have faith to, to, to know that. Yet it's never been defined to this point. There are no statements so far on what is and how to have it. Just stories and experiences. So let's take a look at your notes, and there's some stories of faith as we lead up to Luke chapter 8. The first story that we find here is, is in Luke chapter 5. There's four guys. Jesus is teaching inside of a, a house that's just packed. I mean, you can't get into this house. It's standing room only. And four guys have a friend who's paralyzed. And they're thinking, if we just get our friend to Jesus, he's going to heal him. But they get to the house, they carry their friend over, they get to the house, and they can't get in. So they concoct this idea. They climb up on the roof, they tear the roof open, and they lower their friend down right at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says in, in, in verse 20 of chapter 5, when he saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Second story, real quick, is the story of the centurion, Luke chapter 7. And a Roman centurion, he's the, the very symbol of oppression to the Israelites. And the Roman centurion, centurion uh, sends his leaders to ask Jesus to heal an important servant of his. And Jesus agrees, and so as he's walking towards that house where that servant is ill, he's told, you know what, you don't have to go any further. Just say the word, and that servant will be healed. And in verse 9, it says, When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Third story, story of the prostitute. You find that at Luke chapter 7 also. And, and, and what you find is, is there's a, a, a meeting Jesus has with the religious leaders. The, it was like a state dinner. I mean, it was a big, highbrow meeting. The prostitute works her way inside this meeting, and she's so broken by her life that all she can do is kneel down and cry at Jesus' feet. And Jesus said to the woman, verse 50, your faith has healed you. Then we find ourselves here, Luke chapter 8. The very first verse, Jesus says, speaking to a large crowd, and he says, there's four types of soils, guys. And, and uh, every one of you is one type of these four. Soil is the same thing as heart. And, and he says, first, this is, there's this hard soil, this hard heart that doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. Second soil, it's the rocky soil. You might have a God moment every once in a while, but there are no roots, and so your faith really doesn't grow. Then there's the thorny soil. You might be a God follower, but the worries the cares of this world and the riches that you desire so much the thorns choke it out 
And so you grow for a little bit, but eventually you get choked out. Fourth soil, he says, this is the good soil, the good heart. You hear the word and you act on it. And those, those people are the people of faith. And so the context of of Jesus' question today has been building for at least five chapters, and we find ourselves in the first part of our text today, in, in verse 22 of Luke chapter 8. It begins this way. Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And so they got into the boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. Well, a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. So he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and the storm subsided, and all was calm. Where's your faith? he asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Let's take a look at this, and, and we'll call it putting our faith into action. First point here is, Obedience can lead us into or out of storms. Let's, let's make no mistake. When you obey Jesus, it can lead you into storms, but it also can lead you out of storms. Jesus here was teaching. There were large crowds following. They were listening. and, and Well, there were the 12, and then there were these others, large crowds, uh, people on the fringe. Then there, like I said, were the disciples, the 12, they're, they're not quite getting it at this point, but they were committed to following Jesus. They were close to the Savior. They were the ones who went on that boat ride. They were the ones experiencing the storm. The fringe people, well, they heard that story about the soils. Then they went home to their maybe comfortable houses. You can almost imagine them. They heard the teaching of the four soils, and they're scratching their head thinking, well, which one am I? Well, let's have some dinner Let's go to sleep, and suddenly the house starts shaking with the wind, and they hear the rain, and they look out the window, and they're thinking, oh man, I'm glad I'm not in that boat. I'm glad I'm not on the, on the lake right now. Let me ask you, do we think that God is the one that brings every difficulty, every challenge, every storm in our lives? Is he the one, is God the one that brings every injustice, every sickness, every disease, every abuse, every abandonment? The disciples, they were just being obedient. They were following. And then a storm hits them on open water. These were, some of them were seasoned fishermen. And they, and they were afraid they were going to lose their lives. I think some of you can relate. You're, you're, you're being obedient. You're following Jesus. You're, you're, you're doing your best. And your life just stinks. No one writes worship songs about that, do they? It's always hallelujah, praise God, you're the greatest. But no one writes worship songs, praise God, my life just stinks. No one will sing that song. You see, obedience, it'll lead us into storms sometimes. And sometimes, it'll lead us out of storms. Second point we can make here as we put our faith into action here, we find that storms reveal 
who we are. And storms reveal who God is, too. When the stress and anxiety of life and the challenges of life hit, how we respond reveals who we really are. A few verses before, you know, Jesus tells this crowd about the four soils, and only one of them is the good soil. But in the midst of this storm, they only go to Jesus, if you notice here, they only go to Jesus when they think they're about to die. They don't go to Jesus when the winds pick up, and they don't go to Jesus when the swells start to break over the bow. But I, I, I really do love when they call on him finally. What, what, do they, what do they call him? Look at it. Master. Master, right? They got that part right. See, Jesus, he was not their first resource. He was their last resort. Because storms reveal who we really are and what we're thinking here. You really don't know about your faith until you are in a time of crisis. And the disciples here, they're, they're in a crisis. Obedience can lead us into or out of storms. Storms reveal who we are and who God is. And the, the third one, this is, I, I think this is really important. It's not the amount of our faith. It's the object of our faith that matters most. Get this. It's not the amount of our faith. It's the object of our faith. Jesus asks, where is your faith? He doesn't ask, why don't you have more faith? And I think this rattled around in the disciples' hearts and their minds because nine chapters later in Luke chapter 17, the disciples go to Jesus and they say, Please increase our faith. They wanted more. And he replied, you know what? If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, small, tiny, granular, if you have faith that small, you can tell this tree, go from here to there. You can move mountains. It's not the amount of our faith. The disciples yet didn't get it. Jesus says, where's your faith at? The disciples left their families and they left their businesses and they left their hometowns to follow Jesus. And they watched him do miracles that proved he was the son of God. And now their faith is tested and Jesus wakes up and he looks out and he calms the storm. They thought they were going to die. And Jesus asks them, where's your faith? And their response is, who is this? Well, I thought they knew who he was. They called him what? Master. This is a critical moment in the life of the disciples here. Up to this point, they were casual observers. They were casual observers of a boy getting healed and a leper getting clean, but it never affected them personally. They never really felt the pain of sickness. They did see those four guys with their friend that, who was paralyzed, right? They saw that happen, and they saw this centurion, and they were pretty amazed by that whole deal, and they saw the prostitute, and they heard the teaching of the four soils, and, but now it was time to test their faith. And Jesus says, boys, get in the boat, and it was time. Some of you are sort of like professional Christians, you go to church, you give your tithe, you go to a small group, you read your Bible and pray every day. You serve the needy, you take turns holding baby in the nursery on Sunday morning every once in a while. 
you support missions, and you say, I've got faith, don't I? I'd have to say, until your world is rocked, I don't know if you'll be able to answer that question. Where's your faith? Obedience is always going to lead us into or out, out of storms, and storms really reveal who we are, and of course they reveal who God is. It's not the amount of that thing called faith. It's the object of our faith. The last point we can make in the first part of this text is faith is trusting God to do enough, to, uh, God enough to do what he says. Faith is trusting God enough to do what he says. Verse 22 in Luke chapter 8 says, One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. Jesus says it. It's going to happen. They're going to go to the other side of the lake. So they got in the boat, and they set out. Now, if Jesus says you're going to go to the other side of the lake, guess what you're going to do? You're going to go to the other side of the lake. You're not going to read in the Daily Breeze right along Beth Lester's picture. You're not going to read, Son of God drowns in boating accident. It's not going to happen. If Jesus says you're going over there, you're going to be there. Now, I'm not saying that there, you should never have the human response of fear or anxiety. But how about this request? Master, Master. I need you now more than ever. How about making Jesus your first response rather than your last resort? So, we don't end here in our text. What, what, what's this faith supposed to look like? Anyways, now how do we put it into practice? The disciples thought they were going to die. Jesus calms the storm. And then where do we find ourselves? Take a look at this. Verse 26 in chapter 8. Then they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. And many times it seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And if we could cue the Hollywood version of a demon voice. I practiced it at home, but my kids said, don't do that, Dad. <laughs> Legion is the largest unit in a Roman army. It's powerful. 6,000 soldiers, 6,000 men. Jesus says, what is your name? He says, Legion. And he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. 
A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got in the boat and left. Now, let's bring this into context again. Let's, 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 let's see this. Remember, four guys bring a friend, a paralytic friend, with this incurable medical issue in an unlikely opening in this home. And, and Jesus says, that's faith. That is faith. And then this Roman centurion asks Jesus, can you heal my servant from a remote location? And Jesus does it. But Jesus says, you know what? That's faith. And then this prostitute, so broken by her lifestyle, she's kneeling and crying and wiping uh, her tears on Jesus' feet with her hair. And Jesus says, that's faith. And the person with the good heart, the good soil, they put their faith, they hear the word and they put it into action. And then Jesus says, that's faith. And then the, the disciples get in the boat, they fear for their life in the storm, and Jesus says, where's your faith? And now, well, this is a real test of faith right here. The first point we can make is, you know what? It couldn't get any worse than this situation right here. To the in the culture of that day, this is the most unclean you could get. Being around pigs? It's, it, there's no way you would want to be around a pig farm or a pig farmer, let alone even have a piece of bacon every once in a while. There's no way. It was dirty. It was unclean. Living in the tombs? This man had no home. He lived where there were dead people. That is doubly unclean. Third, public nakedness? That's the trifecta of uncleanliness. And now the fourth one, demon possession. You, it couldn't get any worse. It just could not get any worse. This is about the most messed up a person could get. But after Jesus restores him, I, I, I love that it, it reads, he was clothed in, in his right mind. I mean, I mean, can you imagine this whole scene and, and the disciples are just watching all of this and, and, and uh, you know, the demons come out of them, go in the pigs, and the pigs go over into the ocean or the, into the lake, and now you have the Bay of Pigs there. And, and, uh, <laughs> but, you know, the, this guy, you know, he's, he's, he's all done. He goes, now I feel much better. And the disciples, like, take their coat off and say, yeah, put this on now, okay? That's, uh, that's, you feel good, but put something on here. He's clothed in, in his right mind. You know, it couldn't get any worse. Second thing we can say about this is God's authority brings freedom. It doesn't bring bondage. It doesn't bring oppression. God's authority always brings freedom. We read in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief, the evil one, comes to steal you and and kill you and destroy you. Jesus says, I, I've come to bring you life, freedom, life in all its fullness. 
Religion and religious people will try to put the chains on you every single time. And they'll remind you that you're locked up, that you better follow these rules. You better look right. You better say the right things. But Jesus brings freedom to those who are in bondage and oppression. So, so what happens next to this guy? I, I, I think this is, this, is, this is interesting. Jesus, the people uh, are afraid because they've lived with this crazy, demonic, naked man, dirty guy, lived in the tombs, the man of the tombs, for night after night after night. I, I, just, I couldn't imagine that. And then suddenly he's better. But that man knows, what kind of life can I have? I mean, for years I've been like this. Well, people kind of look at me out of the corner of their eye like, yeah, you're wearing clothes now and you look like you're okay. But So the guy wants to go in the boat with Jesus and the disciples. And the disciples are climbing the boat like, let's get out of here. This is creepy. Wow. And the guy tries to step in the boat and Jesus says, hold on here. Hang on. Verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. And so the man went away, and he told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Last point we can make here is this. Faith begins with accepting a no to our plans and our desires. Can you imagine this guy? tormented for so long and Jesus comes and heals him he has no life there he's thinking I I can't what am I going to do for work only thing I want to do is just follow the guy who gave me life and you think that makes sense like Jesus sure we'll have 13 now come on or we'll take you to the other side and let you be with those and Jesus says no you need to go and tell people. Tell people what happened. Today's question is one of faith. And you know, here at Nova, we could, we could teach you about faith. We, we, we preach about faith. We, you can take a Nova class. You can learn about faith. You can study faith. There's plenty of great books on faith. You have your Bibles. You can do a word study on faith. You can discuss it. You can go to Nova at the beach on Tuesday and talk about it. You can go to a small group a little bit later and and discuss it. You can learn all about faith. But today we learn that faith is something you do. You put into action. And it's tested by the storms of life. So let me ask you, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Let's all stand for the benediction. Today when you go